0: Lord, thanks for your word, and thanks for your goodness, and thanks that we get to hear from you, and uh, we're just uh, so blessed by all you're doing in our lives, and we uh, just ask that you would bless this time to us now, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be reading the second half of Hebrews, and as I'm thinking about it, um, I did want to give you a little bit of an overview of the next few weeks so you can be thinking and praying about this. Is this all right? Is that all right? Okay, good. So uh, uh, next week we do Hebrews chapter 11. I just love the way this kind of works out. The Lord worked all this out. Next week we're going to do Hebrews chapter 11. And I said 11, 12. Who fixed me? Somebody fixed me. Thank you. My son fixed me. He always fixes me. Uh, Next week is Hebrews chapter 12. That the week after that is Hebrews chapter 13. By the way, David and Deborah Markey and their family uh, will be here that week. Um, the week after that is Christmas Eve. Uh, I'll share about uh, Christmas. That's the 24th. The 31st, you ready for this? Yes. You don't know if you are or not. But I like the enthusiasm. The 31st, uh, I've been praying about this, and um, a lot of questions have come up in light of recent international events and all that related to, to biblical prophecy. You know, where are we at in biblical prophecy? How does this fit and that fit? And obviously, we talk about that a lot as we go through books like Daniel and Ezekiel and, and that sort of thing, but uh, I thought it'd be healthy to do uh, sort of a prophecy update since Sunday falls on New Year's Eve, and it's kind of a break in where we're at and all that. Is that cool? You like that idea? I'll tell you something even better. Nate's going to do it. Oh. Oh. All right. So here's the bottom line on that. Um, There's a spectrum of prophecy studies, okay? Some people are like, I'll pretend that part's not in the Bible, okay? Okay. That's wrong. Other people are like, it's all they can talk about. Fair enough? Well, I'm not ignoring it, uh, but I'm going to say that Nate's uh, closer over on this side than I am, and he reads more about it and all this kind of stuff. One, one pastor I heard say one time, I believe in all of it. I just, I'm a pantheologist. I think it's all going to pan out in the end. So I'm not quite that far over there, but um, arguably Nate's uh, more well-versed on this than I am, and, and honestly, I think he'd do a better job. So um, that is on New Year's Eve, All right. And then the Sunday after that, uh, you may recall last year we did sort of a state of the church address, and I'm going to do that in a Bible study uh, on January the 7th, and we're going to have a pitch in that day, all right? Everybody feel like you got your month planned out for you? This is how we do it at our house. We have family meetings, and we outline what everybody's going to do, and so now you know what you're going to do for the next five weeks. And then on January the 14th, you may know what we're going to talk about, this is a this is a 50-point bonus question. If, the we were, if this was the newlywed game, you'd be going home with a new car. <laughs> Amos, chapter 1, right? Lord willing. Depends on if the rapture comes before or after Nate talks about the, that. All right. So, Hebrews chapter 11. Everybody good? Hebrews chapter 11, we talked about last week, uh, we read the first part, Let the, tonight, uh, today we're going to read verses 20 to, th- to 40, uh, the second half of it, and we've been talking <clears throat> as we've been going through this, the book of Hebrews is really to emphasize to the first century Hebrew Jewish believers that Jesus is all you need, Right? And we've talked about this over and over again, I just as a way of kind of bringing our brains back into focus on on the whole thing with Hebrews, is that we are all, by nature, religious people. If you're an atheist, you're a religious person, oftentimes. And just kind of our mindset uh, thinks in terms of religion. We, we as Christians, we... We believe what we believe, and we kind of like the security of maybe our little Christian system, if you will. And it kind of helps us feel like we're on the right track if we're kind of uh, diligent to adhere to our Christian system. And there's a lot of those kinds of things. There's nothing wrong necessarily with any of those unless those elevate in prominence more than I just simply have a relationship with the creator of the universe who died for me see the idea? There's the personal aspect of our faith. Jesus died for me, and I'm therefore living in response to that with a life of thanksgiving and service, however that plays out. Now, the other piece, we go to church, we sing songs, we kind of have a sort of expected lifestyle and an expected vocabulary and all those kinds of things and, and all of that, but we never want to forget that Jesus is preeminent. And really, that's the point of the book of Hebrews, is that Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the Old Testament law. Jesus' priesthood through Melchizedek, you remember, went through all that, is better than the priesthood through Aaron. The uh, The sanctuary in heaven uh, is better than the earthly sanctuary. The sacrifice that Jesus gave uh, as a, of his life was infinitely better than any, any bull or goat could ever be. And so all of that, and we've been going through, and then we kind of build up to this uh, part in chapter 11 where he goes through some examples, right? And he's gone through some examples of folks that have lived by faith, and they're great examples for all of us. And so verse 39 of, of this chapter says this, all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. So all these Old Testament saints, they lived by faith, but they didn't receive the promise. The promise was, I think in the context here, the promise of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, right? They died not having seen Jesus, and yet they died in faith. Do we believe they're in heaven? Yeah, we believe they're in heaven. wait a minute, Jesus hadn't come yet. Well, how does that all work? You may recall in Luke chapter 16, there was a a man uh, named Lazarus. And there was a rich man. And Lazarus was saved, and the rich man wasn't. And they went to a place called Abraham's bosom, Luke chapter 16. And this is not Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha. This was a different man. But anyway they were taken to this place that was sort of a, uh, most commentators think of as kind of a holding place for the Old Testament saints till the time Jesus would die because we are saved by Jesus. Everybody since uh, Adam and Eve till you know the end of the age is saved by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the price he paid on the cross for each of us. And so uh, Ephesians chapter four says this, but verse seven through nine, but to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? And so essentially Jesus released those in Abraham's bosom to go to heaven, okay? And so we see this, the idea here is the Old Testament saints, they live by faith. We, New Testament saints, live by faith. You say, wait a minute, I'm not a saint. Yes, you are, by the blood of Jesus. All right? And so these folks, I go through all that to say, these folks are very relevant to us, even though they're Old Testament saints, we think of them as the guys that lived in the left half of the Bible, right? They're still very relevant to us. And so let's read about them. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Now, We brought this out last week a little bit. I'm going to bring it out again this week. I want you to notice the Bible gives us Old Testament history on each of these folks that we're going to read through. And then the Bible gives us a New Testament commentary, at least in this section, in the book of Hebrews. And I want you to notice that there's a difference, okay? There's a difference in how God sort of retells the story. God's not lying. God's not embellishing the truth in any way. The Bible's very honest about the, 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 the limitations of, of his people. And so I, I think of it like this. The Bible gives us the Old Testament history and the New Testament commentary. The Old Testament history has a little bit more of the good, bad, and the ugly. You ever notice that? Yeah. Now, why does the Bible give us the good, bad, and the ugly? Because I need to learn that stuff. I need to learn where the landmines are in life and I need to learn the pitfalls to avoid. But I like also, as we comment on it here, I like also that the Bible gives us the New Testament commentary because that tells me how God looks at these folks. God looks at these folks through the eyes of grace. Now let me ask you this. How do we look at our fellow believers? Do we look at them the way God looks at them? We should. Can I encourage myself and the rest of us in this? If I want to know the good, bad, and the ugly, let that be a lesson for me and how I should live my life. As I look at other people, right, I need to look at other people with the eyes of grace like God does, right? And God can tell this story. It's pretty crazy. I mean, if you go back to the Genesis account, there's a little more detail than, by faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come, (laughs) Right? That's a colorful story. You say, how colorful? I say, I'll tell you. (laughs) When Rebecca, Isaac's wife, was pregnant, she just felt this turmoil within her. I don't know what that feels like. Kicking, I guess. But anyway, she feels this turmoil. And she says, God, if I'm blessed, if I'm being blessed by this, what's going on in here? And God said, there are two in your womb. There's two nations in your womb. That'd be a little intimidating, wouldn't it? There's going to be two nations in your womb. Basically, it was Jacob and Esau. And the older one's going to serve the younger one. Now, that would have been contrary to their thinking, okay, because the older one always has the preeminence. The older one has the birthright and the blessing. You may remember those terms from Genesis. The older one had the responsibility to carry on the family legacy, Who's he would have been the, the next patriarch, all of that sort of stuff. And the blessing was he gets the provision in order to do that, okay? And so that was always given to the older person, but but God told Rebecca, it's going to be the younger one. And so some of you know the story, the older one was, was Esau, the younger one was Jacob, right? Esau comes out first, Jacob comes out second, right? Well, here's a problem. Esau was his daddy's favorite. Isaac's favorite. Jacob was mama's favorite. Parents, how does that usually work? Not good. Not good. And so Isaac wants to bless, uh, pass on the blessing. He thinks he's about ready to die, even though he's going to live another 20 years. He thinks he's about ready to die. He needs to He basically needs to take matters into his own hands, even though God had spoken previously that the older is going to serve the younger. Get it? Well, I said, how does it work to have favorites, and particularly if mom and dad have different favorites. I said, how does that work? Number two, can I ask a question? How does it work to try to thwart the plans of God? Not very well. And so uh, Jacob has this, um, I'm sorry, Isaac has this great plan. He's going to bless Esau, with this sort of really a blessing that sort of pronounces that Esau is going to be the next patriarch, and you know the story. Uh, he says, "Hey, Esau, go out and get me some food, cook some deer. It's deer season, by the way. The Bible's always relevant. Go out and cook some deer, and uh, and bring it back like the kind I like, the savory kind, whatever that means. Bring it back the kind I like, and then I'll bless you." Rebecca's in the kitchen, she overhears this, and she's like, "Uh uh-uh, not on my watch. Hey, Jake, go get some goat skins, because Esau was hairy. Go get some goat skins, put them on your arms. I'm gonna whip up something here real quick. He comes in, they totally, uh, Isaac blesses Jacob thinking he's blessing Esau, right? And so, were the plans of God thwarted? No, they were not thwarted, right? God said, Jacob is going to get the blessing. The older Esau will serve the younger Jacob. God totally worked it out. Now, God has his ways, and honestly, God always wins. We can make it a little easier for God or, or harder for God, right? It would, have been, it would have been a less colorful story for them to just say, yeah, God, whatever you say, right? But we have the color, right? Why do we have the color? Because we need to learn these lessons, right? Right? We need to learn these lessons. When Isaac realized that he had accidentally, if you will, blessed Jacob, says he trembled exceedingly, Genesis 27, 33. God cannot be thwarted. That's a crazy story, don't you think? You know what God has to say about that story? By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Are you kidding? Right? Think about that. That's how God looks at that story. So, uh, Jacob... So Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. He had a vision beyond himself and his time. And that's always a kind of a pattern that we're seeing through here. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. And so, again, you recall the story. Uh, Jacob also had a favorite, right? You notice some of these things kind of pass down the line. Jacob's favorite. Jacob had 12 sons, right? And one daughter. Uh, but Jacob had 12 sons. We call them the 12 tribes of Israel because Jacob's name was later changed to Israel. We call them the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Remember, one of the sons was a man by the name of Joseph, Jacob's favorite, right? Made him a coat of many colors. You remember from your flannel graphs in, in, in Sunday school, right? Joseph had a coat of many colors. But anyway, he was he was daddy's favorite. Again, not a good idea. The brothers, uh, they, they decided they're going to take care of him. They pretend that he's dead, sell him off to slave traders to take him down to Egypt, right? It's a long story. It's a complicated story. Uh, Lots of deception, lots of selfishness, lots of crazy stuff. And when it's all said and done, uh, what Joseph is able to say to his brothers, hey, you guys, don't be mad at yourselves. When the brothers finally came down to Egypt and realized that it was Joseph in charge of basically second to Pharaoh now, right? Because God totally took care of him and they were trying to sell him off and never have anything to do with him again. He says, but now don't be, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. Can we look at our situations, no matter how difficult they may be, as through the lens of, God is working in my life, right? Joseph was able to do that. What an what a amazing man he was. It says when he was dying, he made mention of the, I'm sorry, he, when he was dying, he blessed each of the sons of Jacob, Jacob blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Turn back, I want to read that story just briefly. Genesis chapter 48. Starting verse 12. So Joseph is bringing his two sons, Manasseh the oldest and Ephraim the younger, that's significant, to his father Jacob, and Jacob is going to bless those sons. Jacob is also now old enough that he's Pretty much blind. Chapter, uh, chapter forty-eight, verse twelve. So Joseph brought them before his knees, beside his knees, and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim on his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near to him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly. For Manasseh was the firstborn, and he blessed Joseph, saying, "God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from evil, from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be up named upon them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth." It's a beautiful. It's a beautiful blessing that uh, Jacob pronounces on Joseph's children, on his grandsons. And just not to get complicated about it, but, you know, Jacob would have been sensitive to this older, older person, younger, older brother, younger brother thing, right? And so Joseph brings the kids to him, and he, Jacob's right hand was the hand that would get the preeminent blessing, right? And uh, so Joseph brought it. So Manasseh, the oldest, would be at Jacob's right hand, and so he could just lay his hands on him and bless him, right? What did Jacob do? Switcheroo, right? Jacob's pretty well versed in the switcheroo, right? He's done it many times. But it was, in, it was deliberate because Jacob knew that God is going to bless Ephraim greater than Manasseh. And you know, Ephraim turned out to be one of the greatest tribes of Israel, right? And so, all that to say, Jacob, even, even at the end of his life, Uh, is sensitive to the leading of the Lord. But I want you to notice this. God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day. You know what he's doing? Turn back to Hebrews. It says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped and worshiped. Leaning on the top of his staff. You know what he's doing? Was he breaking out in song? Did he break out in song in that what I just read in Genesis? No. He just acknowledges that God fed, has fed me all my days. You know what worship is? Worship is acknowledging God, giving him the credit, saying thanks. Yeah. Worship is when an old man like Jacob can sit there and bless his grandkids and say God has been so good to me. Isn't that a heart of worship? That's a heart of worship. That's the heart of worship that we should all have. It says, and again, the, Old Testament com- the New Testament commentary, by faith Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. Didn't have, a, you know, barely had enough strength to hold himself up, but he was able to worship. We stop worshiping when we stop Breathing. We don't stop worshiping when we get out of the mood or when we, you know, get to be a certain age or when we retire or when we, you know, whatever. We stop worshiping when we stop breathing. And the worship that we express is merely thankfulness to the Lord goes on, verse 22, by faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. So Joseph, you know, when he died, he was a, a big shot in the land of Egypt, uh, but he did die in Egypt. And he knew that after his days, the Jewish people would wind up going back to the promised land. And so Joseph had a vision beyond his own years. We need to have a vision beyond his own years. And so Joseph said, hey, by the way, when you guys go out of here, take my bones with you and and bury them up there. Verse 23, by faith Moses, now we shift gears now, we're talking about Moses. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. And so really the the by faith uh, Moses part starts with by faith his parents, right? His parents uh, saw that he was Beautiful, the word says. It's all that he was a beautiful child. Now, parents, how many of your babies were beautiful? Thank you. Say it again. Parents, how many of your babies are beautiful? Right. So why does the Bible bother distinguishing that for us? Right? Right? When his parents saw that he was a beautiful child, the word beautiful here really in the, the Hebrew means good in the widest sense. The implication is that he was good and he was born for purpose. We were born for purpose. And can I tell you this? It was not so you could have fun. Right? Life is okay to be fun. Life's okay to be funny. Life's okay to, you know, be comfortable at times. But we all have a purpose that goes beyond our comfort and our fun. And in our culture, I think, honestly, I grew up, and I grew up in church, frankly, but I grew up thinking that my goal in life was to basically work the system so that I could have fun and be comfortable and have my needs well taken care of, right? That's not our purpose. Look at this. Moses was beautiful. He was good in, every, in, in the widest sense. And, and as a part of that, he was born for a purpose. And so Moses also, by the way, Moses' parents at least, knew that the king's command by this time the Jewish people are rising in, in number, right? And the new Pharaoh, not the one that liked Joseph, but the new Pharaoh now is a little bit threatened and intimidated by these by this rising group of Hebrews, and if we go to war, these guys are gonna turn on us. Right? And so what we do what we need to do is reduce their numbers, right? If you're a guy like Pharaoh, you want to reduce the numbers, what do you do? You throw all the baby all the male babies into the Nile River. Can you imagine? Discarding babies? Can you imagine a society that has such a low regard for babies? This society, as well. So that's not necessarily a historic thing. That's a that's a timeless thing. But anyway, so Pharaoh issues this 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 edict if you will you know throw all the the babies uh, in the nile river well moses' parents weren't going to do that because he was beautiful he was born with a purpose his purpose was was beyond getting thrown into the into the nile river and notice here they knew the king's command and they practiced civil disobedience and today they're honored for it all right so there's been lots of discussion about that in the last couple of years, right? And so we, <clears throat> we all have Romans 13 in our Bibles. Romans 13 says uh, God sets up authority structures on earth and, and they're there for a reason and God set them up. But there's also plenty of examples, plenty of examples that we obey and honor those, those authority structures as long as that doesn't violate our obedience to the Lord. Peter himself said, we must obey God rather than men. He said that to the authorities, right? And so here's an example where Moses' parents obeyed God rather than man, and they were honored for it. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Verse, uh, so look back to Exodus chapter 2. This is worth reading. Exodus chapter 2, starting verse 1. And a man of the house of Levi went and took his wife, a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. This would be Moses. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, what we just talked about, she hid him for three months. But you can only hide a child so long, especially a beautiful one. Everybody wants to see him. But, When she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Totally tangential idea here for a second. Can I have a totally tangential idea? They daubed it with asphalt and pitch, right? Right? Legend has it, I don't know, that um, Mr. Rockefeller or somebody was reading the Bible and saw, hey, I bet there's asphalt and pitch. I bet there's oil over there in the Middle East. Just saying. Reading the Bible can be profitable. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. So they put this baby in the river in this, in this sort of basket, right, that's made waterproof by asphalt. And uh, the daughter of Pharaoh comes down to bathe in the river and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the, this ark, this, this basket, this boat, if you will, a little boat, she made among the reeds, she, op- she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw a child. And behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. And then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's daughter. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I'll give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water, which is what Moses means. So check this out. They hide, Moses' parents hide him in the river. Pharaoh's daughter, not just any daughter, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river, sees this baby, has compassion on this baby. Moses' older sister is watching from a distance and goes up to Pharaoh's daughter and says, hey, by the way, you want me to get one of those Hebrew women to nurse him for you? Yeah, sure. She goes and gets her own mother, her own mother, Moses' own mother, winds up nursing the baby, gets paid for it. Only God can do this kind of stuff, right? And then, uh, after the time of weaning and all that, the baby then is raised at the hands of Pharaoh's daughter. So, once you see this, the idea is Moses grows up as Pharaoh's grandson, in a sense, right? Like an adopted grandson growing up in the household of Pharaoh. Now, If you grew up in Pharaoh's household as his, like, grandson, let's say you called him Papa, right? Now, I have some kids, there's some kids in this world that call me Papa, right? You know what that means? usually means Papa's always got a couple dollars in his pocket, right? (laughs) And um, Papa's good for some other things, but they start to fail off in importance, you know, if you're Papa, right? Imagine Pharaoh being your Papa. You know, I think I'd like a new chariot. Would you maybe have the temptation to grow up just a little bit entitled? Would you maybe, would you remember that you were a Hebrew? Or would you like, Start to grow out your beard like this as soon as you became of age. You're like, I want to be like Papa when I grow up. I'm gonna grow out, I'm gonna get one of those creepy beards. Right? By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses made a very deliberate decision. Moses made a very deliberate decision. Why did he do that? Look at this, verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Wow, that's a home run verse right there. That's a home run verse right there. Do we see our Christian life like this? If I trust God to take care of me, that is better. Even if it involves the reproach of Christ, even involves some tribulation and some persecution, I'm going to call that more blessed than anything that being a part of Pharaoh's household can provide. You catch this? The reproach of Christ is better than than anything Pharaoh could come up with. Do we see life like that? That's hard. That's honestly hard. Again, you know, we, we look in our society for comfort. We look in our society for pleasure. We look in our society for fun. And this is really what faith is. Faith is that we could esteem the reproach of Christ greater riches greater blessing than the treasures in Egypt. See, in our society, we think the word blessing is a number on a, on a tax form, right? You know, if you make X, you're blessed. If you make two X, you're twice blessed. But blessing has to do with following the Lord and letting Him take care of us. And that's infinitely better than anything that the world could provide. Moses Moses is a rock star in the Old Testament. Spiritually speaking, right? He wasn't like in Pharaoh's household. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And so again, you know, not only did Pharaoh, did Moses, I'm sorry, walk away from the luxury of Pharaoh's household, he stood in the face of Pharaoh. He's the guy that after God called him, He's the guy that goes back to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. Right? Now, we don't know how many Pharaohs we've gone through by this point, but they're all called Pharaoh, right? And we know that they're not necessarily God-honoring, except Joseph's Pharaoh, he was was God-honoring. But by the time now Moses goes back and he's going to say, let my people go, he's now He could have, you know, grown up in Pharaoh's household and enjoyed all that goes along with that, right? Hey, Papa, I'm going to go to the chariot store. Can I take your credit card? Sure. He forsook all of that because the reproach of Christ was greater. And not only that, he comes back in obedience to God and is in Pharaoh's face saying, let my people go. Amazing. Not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him, God, who is invisible. Again, Moses had a higher authority than the king. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And so, God gave him the Passover ordinance, and and we've talked about this before. So many times, faith does not come as as necessarily I'm confident that something's going to work out. Faith comes simply as obeying what God has said, and that's how faith walks, walks itself out. And so by faith, he kept the Passover. He surely didn't understand all the implications of the Passover, but he obeyed it, and he told the people to obey it. And those that obeyed it were blessed. Those that didn't were not. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by, as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. So now we're talking about all the Israelite people. Remember that last night after the, after the, the Passover? They all leave town, right? And they get out of town and they're heading up and, and God's going to lead them out of, of Egypt into the promised land, right? It's going to be a piece of cake because we just saw God do all these amazing miracles in these 10 plagues, the last one being the most devastating, and so they, they, they leave Egypt in the middle of the night, and you know they're, they're, they're heading out of town, and they're on their way, and, and I won't read through all the, the details of it, but they get to where they come up to the Red Sea, and they say, oh, no biggie, God has taken care of us so far, this is a piece of cake in God's eyes, is that what they said? No, they said yeah, 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 and then they look back the other way, and what do they see? Pharaoh changed his mind. Go figure. Here he comes, him and his army, and all the Israelites. There's only about two or three million of them. They say, "Hey Moses, did you bring us out here to kill us because there were not enough graves back in Egypt?" Right? We're we're flipping out now. We're panicked. We're about ready to kill you. You know what the Bible says about this? By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. God's commentary is full of grace. God's commentary is so full of grace, it's not even funny. And our commentary on one another this is where I, this comes home to me. Our commentary on one another needs to be full of grace because God set that example for us. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. So again, you know, we got another story. By faith, they, God told them to walk around the walls of Jericho. They didn't understand how that would have worked out. And God says, finally, after seven days, walk around it seven times, and then at the end, here's the battle plan. Everybody yell. Really? God doesn't always work the same way, right? Sometimes God's, sometimes walking by faith causes us to do strange things, but it's obedient to God. If it's obedient to God, it's gonna be blessed. Verse 31, by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And so again, many of you know this story. Rahab lived on the, her home was on a part of the wall, the city wall around Jericho, And lo and behold, and archaeologists have have basically verified this, all the walls of Jericho fell down except for one little section. Huh, isn't that funny? Right? So Rahab was spared. Rahab was spared. Now Rahab, I said, was a harlot, right? So was she a perfect squeaky, squeaky clean religious girl? No. She was a harlot, right? But... Matthew chapter 1, you go back to Jesus' genealogy. She's mentioned in that genealogy. Why? By faith. She was the mother of Boaz. She's the mother of Boaz. If you recall from the story of Ruth, right? And I refer you back to that. We won't go through it now. But you read the story of Ruth, right? Ladies, let's just be honest, right? You're looking for some dashing um, knight in shining armor dude, right? Right? Boaz is your man. You want to make a movie out of a, some, okay, a Hallmark movie. You will make a Hallmark series on Bible stories? Start with Boaz, right? I don't think the Bible tells us what he looked like, but I'm sure he was dashing. Rahab becomes the mother of, of Boaz. Amazing. God's not interested in how religious you are, or how squeaky clean you are. God's interested in, can you acknowledge me? Worship me like Jacob did there at the end of his life? And if you can, I'm going to do something with your life who knows you might wind up being the mother of Boaz right or you want to just keep being a harlot and try and take good care of yourself right and what more can I say what more should I say for time would, not, time would fail me and it's going to fail me as well to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and of David and Samuel and the prophets I gotta can't let this one go I can't let this one get away, all right? So, Gideon. Gideon. Was Gideon a man of great faith in our eyes? God says, hey, Gideon, you're going to defeat all the Midianites, Judges chapter 6. You're going to defeat all the Midianites. And Gideon's like, oh, I don't know. I'm like a wimpy guy, and my family's. Uh, I'm. I'm from the tribe of Manasseh, who I already told you was in fear to Ephraim. And my family, I'm. I'm like the weakest one, and I'm. I'm, arguably, pretty effective at being wimpy. God says that's all right. Uh, you're going to go defeat the Midianites. Well, prove it. Okay, fine. Go get a. Go get a, Go get an offering. God says, and. And uh, he goes and gets this offering and, and uh, the angel of the Lord touches this offering and boom, it gets consumed miraculously. And Gideon says, Whoa, I've seen, the f- I've seen the face of the Lord. That's amazing. God spoke to him. God told him. God verified it. God confirmed it. So what more do we need if you're Gideon? What do you do? You say, Okay, I'm going. Well, Gideon says, Tell you what. Quote, if you will save Israel as you have said. Don't say if and as you have said in the same sentence. God said, uh, Gideon says, God, if you're serious, having just burned up the offering, right? If you're serious and you will save Israel as you have said, Can I just do this one second? Just, God, bear with me. I'm going to take a a lamb's fleece and I'm going to put it out on the ground. Can you make the, like, there's dew every night, right? Can you make the fleece wet and the ground dry? You know what God says? Yeah, sure. What would you say? My kids can tell you what I would say. We'll just go with what God said. Yeah, sure. He gets up the next morning, he's got a, he can wring the fleece out in a bowl. There's so much water, right? Ground's all dry. That should be enough, shouldn't it? Gideon says, God, don't get mad. But tonight, can you make the ground wet and the fleece dry? You know what God said? He is so patient. I, can't, I, I just can't get my head around how patient God is. Is that enough? Are we done with Gideon? God says, God is pretty good at reading people. So God says to Gideon, You know what? If you're afraid, this is after the rock, after the, uh, the altar, and after the fleece, and then the fleece again. God says, Tell you what, if you're, if you're still afraid to go down, Go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, into the outer edge of the Midianite camp. So sure enough, he goes down there, and he goes to the camp because he is still afraid. What's my point in all this? Too often, and here's the punchline, I'll get to the punchline. We equate faith with confidence. What do your t-shirts say? Faith, not what? Faith, not fear, right? We see those t-shirts. Faith, not fear. We, we think faith is the opposite of fear. Faith is confidence. Faith is courage. Faith is, I know that's going to happen. Well, the Bible just is telling me that Gideon is a man of faith. So I've got to rewrite some of my presuppositions, right? So anyway, the final time, God says, if you're still afraid, that's fine. Go down to the Midianite camp. He goes down to the Midianite camp. He overhears these two Midianite soldiers talking. One guy says, you know, I had this dream. And the other guy interprets the dream for him. He says, you know what that is? That's the, That dream, that means that Midianite is going to wipe us out, or that Gideon is going to wipe us out. And so finally Gideon's like, all right, thanks, God. And he goes and fights him, Right? And what more shall we say? For time would, not, time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Barak. Deborah the prophetess, uh, who's the judge at the time, um, tells Barak, I want you to go uh, take out Sisera and his army. And Barak says, check this out, chivalrous men. I'm not going unless you go with me. <laughs> to Deborah, a woman, right? Chivalry? I don't think so. Samson? Do you want me to get started on Samson? No, you don't. You don't. Samson teaches us that sin makes you what? Stupid. Stupid. Sin makes you stupid. Hey, Sam, how do you get that, that strength? Well, tell you what, you just tie me up with ropes. I'll be weak like any other man. He falls asleep. The woman that he's feeding his flesh with has this whole thing. Philistines are in the closet. She tries to come against him, right? Tries to have him killed by the Philistines. He breaks the rope, says, nope, I was just lying. She does this about four times. And finally, to his demise, he caves because sin makes you stupid. Samson, if I'm, reading, if I'm giving you a commentary on Samson, I'm saying, sin makes you stupid, Samson is a guy that had every opportunity handed to him on a silver platter and he blew it because all he cared about was his flesh. That's a lesson for me. The final lesson is God's commentary. God puts him in Hebrews chapter 11 as a man of faith. That's crazy. It's not crazy. God's not crazy. It's crazy as I get my head around it. Jephthah wound up having to make a rash vow that turned out to be tragic. David and Samuel had their own flaws, their own imperfections. He goes on, these guys who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness, were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned the flight of armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Great things can be done by God through the vessels of imperfect people. You get that? Now, do we have to do great things to please God or impress God? No, we just be faithful. We just obey God and let God do it. These people were all faithful to obey God's word. Sometimes they were selfish, sometimes they were afraid. They were certainly imperfect, but God did great things through their lives. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings, of scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Tradition says that Isaiah was sawn in two. These others, you can go back and find the the biblical references uh, of the different people that were all persecuted in this way. They were sown in two, they were, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. So these guys, they didn't have comfortable lives. They weren't all about their pleasure and all about their fun. But they're honored by God. And God was able to do great things through their lives because they trusted him to work out the details. They didn't know the details. Look at this. And all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Have you noticed this? That all the cool stuff that you want God to do in your life hasn't quite come to pass yet? Have you noticed that? Could it be that you're going to pass through this entire life on this earth barring the rapture of the church? Let's say you're going to go through this entire life and one day breathe your last and on the moment that you breathe your last are you going to feel like oh yeah, I I saw it all come together. Everything that I wanted God to do was done. Probably not right? All these people that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11, they all died not having seen the Messiah. They all died having been persecuted in many ways. They all died not having no doubt seen the deliverance that they were kind of looking for. But that's not what the life of faith is about. The life of faith is not about the results And it's not about our own perceptions of our own courage. It's not about our ability to overcome our fear. It's about faithfully obeying God and taking him at his word and trusting that he's going to work out the details. Is God able to take care of us? Yes, he is. Has he done that before? Yes, he has. Is he going to stop? No, he won't. No, he won't. The Bible is full of great examples to learn from. I love that the Old Testament gives us the dirty details of some of these people, right? Because it helps me to know that these are things to watch for, right? These are the landmines of life, but I love even more that the, uh, that the, the New Testament commentary, when God tells us about these people, it is through the eyes of grace. And when God looks at you and me, he looks at us through the eyes of grace. And for that, we can say, praise the Lord. Let him work out the details. You just be faithful to do what you're supposed to do. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you take such good care of us. Lord, you're so amazing. Thank you that you see us through the eyes of grace and Lord, you give us all those details in the Old Testament and yet you see, you see it the way you see it. Thank you for the encouragement that that brings us. And Lord, I do pray that we would be able to be a people who could see one another in that way. That we could look at one another through the eyes of grace. Lord, if we're different parts of the body of Christ as the different cells are of the human body, then we're gonna be different. And we're gonna be tempted to look at one another through the good, bad, and the ugly details. But Lord, help us to see the eyes of grace. Help us to see with the eyes of grace those around us, those in our families, our coworkers, the people in our community and help us to model your grace so that we can point people to you all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Everybody have an awesome week. If you want to linger in fellowship a little bit, that's all.